Well, good morning. I am so glad that you're here today. Otherwise, I'd be here all by myself, and it would be a really bad day. I'm so glad. Hey, let me bring greetings to you from uh, 337 or so other churches throughout the state of New Mexico. Together, we cooperate in a thing called the Baptist Convention of New Mexico, all these churches, including yours. Um, and, and we thank you also. I want to thank this church, along with all those others, for your gifts, the cooperative program, and to Mission New Mexico. You may not know this, but... Buried somewhere within your church budget is a thing called the cooperative program. So when you give to your local church, uh, they in turn out of that budget give to the cooperative program, which funds ministries throughout New Mexico, as well as across the United States and around the world, servicing your international missionaries. In addition to that, annually, your church helps us receive a thing called Mission New Mexico, which supplements uh, the work that we do. It's not really supplemental. We can't do without it, but it helps us do all those ministries throughout New Mexico. Let me give you a couple of ideas of things that you, you have done over the last year or so, um, just since January. I, I think this is great. Uh, we're so glad that some of these uh, uh, COVID restrictions are lifting. Amen. Uh, and what's that allowed, what that has allowed us to do, since January, you have helped fund four new church planters in New Mexico already. That's great, isn't it? And, and it's a really cool thing. There are already five more in queue. I mean, they're, they're, they're already in some process of being approved. So we'll start at least those other five. The goal is like 20 a year, but we're going to kind of move forward. So that's, that's exciting. You're participating in that. Last year, as many of you know, uh, throughout our state, there were a lot of uh, hunger needs as there were some crises, economic crises related to all that was going on. And you helped feed over 200,000 people throughout this state in the ministries that we cooperate together to make happen. That's amazing. You also trained over 500 of those folks who were serving that food how to share Jesus. And what they did is they were serving those 200,000 people. They led over 300 of those to faith in Lord Jesus Christ last year. Amen. You did that. Because you gave to the cooperative program. Let me give you one more. Because you give the cooperative program Mission to Mexico, you support collegiate ministries. On our six four-year universities and on two of our junior college campuses, we have a thing called Christian Challenge. And I just want to share with you just the exciting stuff on one campus. At New Mexico State, uh, David E., who's the Christian Challenge leader, he sends out these emails. And what they do is this. They, those leaders down there, they train the students how to share their faith two by two. So they go out two by two on the campus, and those students go out to see other students just on campus in a natural setting, and they share their faith in Christ. And last month, just in March alone, those students led five other students to faith in Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? You're, that's not possible if you don't give to the cooperative program. So you talk a lot about the cooperative program. Well, I do, because I, I love it. I think it does. It's why I'm Southern Baptist. Emmy Dodd, who was the guy who brought the original recommendation to the Southern Baptist Convention back in 1925 to kind of move that direction to start the cooperative program, he was challenged by some folks who said, you're making the cooperative program into a sacred cow. And he responded, he said, it's not a sacred cow, it's a sacred how. How do we do this? How do we minister together? How do we do more? How do we do what we can't do individually when we do it all together? That's the beauty of the cooperative program. Thanks again for that. 
Let me, let me flip, the, flip to the page a little bit here and kind of talk a little bit about one, one of my not favorite subjects, suffering. How many, how many of you are just so glad that I'm going to talk about suffering today? You, just, uh, you, you, you got up this morning, you saw the title, and said, I'm going to church, man. I'm so excited to hear about suffering. Um, everybody deals with stuff, though, right? Everybody. Let me give you some book tiles I found that, that relate. It's books you might look into if you want to. One's called, Where is God When It Hurts? That's a great question, isn't it? Ever been there? Or where's God in my storm? Or why do bad things happen to good people? It's a great book. Uh, Where's God when my life is falling apart? And my favorite title, I'm going to have to order this book. Here it is. When Good Samaritans Get Mugged. (laughs) That's great. Because that happens sometimes, right? You intend to do good and something bad comes out of it. How does that happen? Sometimes God allows incredibly difficult and downright evil things into our lives through no fault of our own. Now, there are times whenever we, we make inappropriate and wrong choices and we, we bear the consequence of those things. But sometimes we just are living life and something just comes out of nowhere and buries us or attempts to bury us. In, in, in some kind of circumstance. Maybe you feel like Job sometimes, right? And you say something like, I, I've been living as righteously as I know how. I've been trying to do the right kind of things. I've been trying to live the life that God's called me to live. Why are all these bad things happening to me? What's going on? One of the major sub-themes of Scripture is suffering. Because suffering is the place where, where faith evaporates on a hot summer sidewalk like water does. You pour it out, and it's pretty much, it's like, what happens? Suffering is a testing place of faith. It, it's easy to have faith, right? When things are going my way, everything's kind of moving in the right direction. But it's hard when things are not. The man under our magnifying glass this morning is a guy named Stephen. And we first meet him in the Jerusalem church when they're dealing with a, a touchy problem. What's the touchy problem? Well, the Jerusalem church was trying to take care of their own. And then as they were trying to take care of their own or having needs, they got a, an accusation that they were taking better care of the hometown widows than the widows from out of town. And so they, they dealt with that. And they, the, the apostles said, well, they asked the church, they said, select from among yourselves, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit, wisdom, whom you can appoint to this duty. And the first man on the list... Stephen. And it says in the scripture, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. The question I want to ask this morning, I want you to walk with me on, what does it look like to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit? What is that? How does that that flesh itself out in real, everyday life? More specifically, what does it look like when, when trouble and suffering ambush Second mentions our primary focus. It's actually the next paragraph. Stephen is performing great wonders and signs, and some, some guys step up to debate him about all the stuff that's going on. He wipes the floor with them, by the way. I mean, he just he destroys them in this debate, doesn't he? And the losers get angry. They're not good losers. And he, they get other men to lie and charge Stephen with blaspheming. And, and the crowd drags Stephen off to court for a trial before the Sanhedrin. By the way, it's the same group of folks who, who got the Roman officials to get Jesus to be crucified 
crucified. So Stephen's allowed to make a defense. It's pure mastery. If you read chapter 6 of Acts, it is pure mastery. He recounts all the Jewish history from, from, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses to David to Solomon. He gets the prophets and he speaks like a prophet at that moment. And I want you to read God's word with me together. Acts chapter 7 verses 51 down to verse 60. All right. I'm going to invite you to do something. It may not be your habit, but it's my habit, so you're stuck with mine today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me to read God's Word together. This is not a, a book of full of great stories and, and great advice. It's the inspired, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. Amen? So let's honor that today, if you're able to. If you're not, that's fine. Here's what it says in verse 51. It says, it's says Stephen still speaking. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You've received the law under the direction of angels and have yet not kept it. When they heard these things, that court, they were enraged. And they gnashed their teeth at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Would you pray with me? And we'll ask God's blessing on the rest of our time together. Our Lord Jesus, as we step into this historic moment recorded by, by Dr. Luke, I pray that it wouldn't simply be a story perhaps we've heard before, studied before, taught before. But it'd be a moment for those of us who need to hear a fresh word from you. Either as we've just come out of some difficulty, or in a difficulty, or we're heading to one. Because that's just the seasons of life. God, I pray that you would give us strength and courage. Fullness of your spirit. Fullness of your faith. To respond in ways that reflect the nature of this man that we just read about. Thank you for what you're going to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And if you're standing online, that's even more awesome, all right? <laughs> people all across Albuquerque standing in front of their TVs. That's awesome. Um, let's talk about some things. Right? Let's talk about suffering and being spirit-filled. Stephen... And let's back up the story. He's going to be, we just read that he was martyred, but let's back up for a moment. He's going to be the first Christian martyr, the first, the first person who gives his life simply because he had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Before he gives his life, though, for, for Christ, he teaches a, a lesson on living your life for Christ. This right? isn't a story just about giving your life away for Christ, but it's a story about how to live your life for Christ. The court's response 
It's way overboard, isn't it? It's just way overboard. They become enraged on the inside, and then they reveal that rage through their, through their facial expressions. They're talking about their gnashing of teeth and, and just the anger that's just oozing out of them. And juxtaposed against that incredible angry spirit is this very calm, in control. There's only one person in all the entire scene who's actually kind of in control. And it's Stephen, one man full of the Spirit faces a gallery of men full of hate. What does it mean? What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? And if we go, we go, you want to go buy a book, go do a study. We'll talk about teaching and healing and all kinds of gifts of the Spirit. And all those things are true. But I want to suggest to you that that. This story vividly illustrates that the Spirit's fullness is given to us for suffering sometimes. That we are, we are allowed to have the fullness of the presence of God in our lives to endure through, to come through suffering. Suffering is a part of the life of obedience. It's a part of following Christ. God will, I promise you this, and, and most of you have already experienced this, God will give you more than you can handle. And he does that so that he can fill us then with his spirit to handle what he's given. Amen? All right. Just making sure you're still there. Bright lights, dark auditorium. All right, make sure you press. Another look at, at, at this is, is there's a depth of union with Christ through the spirit that only comes through those moments that we call suffering, hardship, difficulty. We struggle with the thought, but it's true This is hard, whatever this is. This is hard, it's difficult, it's overwhelming, it's burying me, I can't breathe. Whatever you might have the response to in that moment to what's going on. However, this is going to bring me closer to Christ, therefore it must be a blessing. Have you ever tried to work through that? Tried to just grasp that? In this account, Jesus come close to Stephen and Stephen by the filling of the Holy Spirit, begins to act just like Jesus. Isn't that what you really want? Isn't that what it means to follow Christ? To follow Christ means that there are those moments and seasons in our life that my response is the response Christ is, is recorded as having in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living the life that he lived in this moment, whatever is happening. The Japanese evangelist and social reformer, uh, Toyohiko Kagawa, and I probably just butchered his name like crazy. So any Japanese speakers, I apologize, all right? But he once thought he was going blind. He was having difficulty with his eyesight. And he described what he felt this way. He said, the darkness, the darkness is a holy of holies of which no one can rob me of. In the darkness, I meet God face to face. Wow. The fullness of the Spirit. In this moment, allows Stephen to do three things. What are they? Speak God's word to a hostile environment, <laughs> to a hostile audience. I mean, he's, he's able to have the moving of God's spirit inside of him, not to speak to friends and family who are with me in this hardship and with me through this suffering and with me in this difficulty, but to speak the word of God clearly to those who are creating the hardship for him. Secondly, it allows him to see a heavenly vision. God gives him a view into heaven in that moment. And thirdly, the filling of the Spirit most importantly allows him to endure through the persecution. And in this case, as we've already seen, endure even to the point of death. 
but to do so graciously. What's number two? Let's talk about suffering and the pursuit of pleasure. Suffering and the pursuit of pleasure. Let's be honest. Can I get, let's just walk with me for a second. There are only a few good ways to die. Amen? I mean, my favorite way is going to be I lay down my head at night and then I wake up in heaven. No suffering, no pain, no nothing, no, no drawn out disease, just no, no rocks thrown my direction. Just, you know, fall asleep and wake up. It's going to be awesome, I hope. But the truth is, we're all going to die. Amen? Wait, let me try that again, because I'm really having trouble hearing. I, I don't have hearing aids. Maybe I should get them. We're all going to die. Amen? Amen? Okay, good. I'm just making sure you're here. I, it may not be your habit, but you've got to help me out here. I've got to draw a little energy this way to put the energy out that way. You got that? So here we go. One out of one dies, or 100 out of 100. I mean, the statistics are kind of overwhelming. We all face that in some way, and there are only a few good ways. And I've got to present to you, I don't think... Acts chapter 7 presents a very pleasant way to die. Amen? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Stephen seems to do something remarkable to me. Do you know, watch, read the scripture again. He, he, doesn't, he embraces the stones. Now, when I was a kid, I was in middle school. Middle school students are, Bob's going to use the word I should. They are mentally deficient. <laughs> I was going to say retarded, but you can't say that anymore. They are mentally deficient. And so I remember one time, we as middle school boys, we had a rock fight. And the rock fight ended after a little while because it hurts. <laughs> it's just dumb. But he embraces the stones. He embraces them. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't run. He doesn't duck. He doesn't, he doesn't bend over and pick them back and start chucking them the other way. He just seems to embrace the moment. Um, I, I, I need us to wrestle with that a little bit because trying to avoid or because when we try to avoid or escape suffering, sometimes we are actually getting ourselves out of the will of God. Does that make sense? Sometimes you have to embrace it to actually be right smack dab in the middle of what God wants to accomplish and do in and through your life for the benefit of you and others. We usually equate suffering with, with being outside of the will of God. That somehow my suffering must be indicative that I've done something wrong or our life isn't the way I'm out. And there are actually preachers out there who will have, this, this, they have these messages who will tell you if you're suffering, you're outside of the will of God. And that's not true necessarily. It's just not. The biblical idea of suffering as a blessing in a very hedonistic society, which is bent, by the way, on a relentless pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of suffering, is difficult to embrace for followers of Christ. It's just hard for us. It runs counter to the culture in which we grow up here. What we need to do is discover true Christian pleasure. What does it mean to, to, to have the true Christ-like pleasure. God is the creator of all things. Amen? He's the creator of all things. He is the source of the purest and fullest pleasure. The greatest pleasure, then, is to know God intimately. Let me repeat that, because it, it may run counter to what you've thought of before. The greatest pleasure is to know God 
as intimately as possible. David writes this in Psalm 16. He says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Our pursuit of the highest pleasure, therefore, is, is a pursuit of a union with God in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the deepest aspects of that union is sharing the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes these words in Philippians, and they just blow my mind. Listen to what he says. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And we just celebrated Easter Sunday last week, right? And we're like, oh, that's awesome because the resurrection, all kinds of power going on. I want to know God and the power that gets dead, dead people back to life. I want to know that kind of power. And then he says, and, the, and I also want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus, the resurrection as well as the suffering that led to the need for a resurrection, being conformed, even Paul says, to his death. The question then is, how important is knowing Christ to us? I mean, of all the things you're going to make decisions about this week, how important is it that you know Jesus better at the end of the week than you knew Jesus at the beginning of the week? If it's our consuming passion, we do not then resent the suffering because amidst the pain, we have the underlying assurance that what it's doing is leading us to our greatest ambition, which is to know Christ better, to be more intimately acquainted with him, to more intimately understand his motivation. That ambition is to know Christ. George and Minnie Lacey were some of the pioneer international missionaries for Southern Baptists in Mexico. Um, and, and, and during that season when they were there, it's a little over 100 years ago, maybe 140 years ago when this, this happened, but while they were serving there in Mexico, they lost all five of their children in a 15-day period to scarlet fever. And they're in Mexico. They have given their lives, Right? God, I'm going to serve you in Mexico. I'm going to go to the international mission field. I'm giving up everything to go serve you. I bring my whole family here. And in 15 days, all five of their children die of scarlet fever. And George, he says to many, he's quoted saying, my dear, we will give up and come home. And she responds, has your wife ever been more spiritual than you? <laughs> like all the time probably. Yeah, I got it. Me too. Uh, but she responds, she says, no, we've given our children from Mexico. Now we will go back and give our lives. Wow. But that's what it means to embrace the suffering in the moment, to know Christ better. Stephen is being made like Christ as he pursues Christ in the midst of this stoning. He even expresses words of forgiveness as he embraces the stones, right? The words of forgiveness are actually based on an old Jewish prayer that parents taught their children to pray at bedtime. Stephen laid his head to rest. He prayed, not God keep my, keep my soul, but keep the souls of those who are killing me. I pray for those who are causing my suffering. Did the prayer matter? Yeah. Augustine, Augustine writes that the church owes Paul, called Saul in chapter 7, to the prayer of Stephen. Maybe. One last thought. Here we go. The ironing is that the gospel takes root in places prepared by the blood of martyrs. 
read, read your Christian history. The gospel takes root in the soil of lands where Christian martyrs have given their lives. At Stephen's time of shame and apparent defeat, he sees the glory of God, doesn't he? The vision gives him courage. He sees something going on in heaven that nobody else can see in that moment. He gives him courage. He's not on the wrong path. Do you ever need God just to kind of give the assurance that, that, that there's purpose and meaning in all of this? Well, you have to pursue him to find that, right? Here's the truth for us. The exalted Christ sharing in the glory of God is never deaf to the cries that we have in the midst of our pain. He always hears He's always responding. And I want to give you the the reason for the title of the message. It's called Ovation Faith. It's my favorite part of the message, so hang in here with me, right? Jesus promised the same court, the, the same group of guys who are stoning Stephen to death. When Jesus stood before that court just a few weeks earlier, Jesus told them, he said, guys, you Jewish leaders, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. When David talks about this coming Son of God, he says this. This is the declaration that my Lord to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Did you catch the position of Jesus? Almost every single time it's mentioned that Jesus at the right hand of the Father, what's he doing? He's seated. Say that with me, seated, just like you are. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Yet Stephen sees this glimpse of heaven, and Jesus is no longer seated. What's he doing? He's standing. So he had to have been seated, and now he's he's standing. What makes Jesus stand up? What makes him get up out of his seat? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched your kids play sports or your grandkids play sports? You can answer that question. It's okay. Yes. If you, if you watch your kids play sports, you watch the game, but what do you really watch? You're watching the game within the game. What do I mean by that? You, you're like, you, didn't, you didn't go to see the game. Like If your kid's on the sideline, that's why you complain so much, right? Like, why, why can't my kid get in the game? You're not really concerned about the game. You're concerned about your kid. And when, you're, when your kid's actually on the field to play, whatever ball game that might be, whatever event that might be, you're watching your son or your daughter play the game within the game. And so, yes, you came to the game, but you really don't keep track of the score as much as you keep track of your kid. You follow? The most important thing to you is watching your child perform. My son, believe it or not, I'll tell you why in a second. My son, when he was in high school, was a defensive lineman for the football. And his football team won a state championship his senior year. He is, at the time, he was 6'4", 250 pounds. He's adopted, praise God. (laughs) My football career ended in seventh grade (laughs) when I figured out, you know, if you're the second smallest guy out of 100, this isn't my sport. Nothing's my sport. It's all good. But so 
But we would go to his games, and, and just like you, we watched our kid play because that's what you do. And that, that, that run to the state championship, the very first uh, playoff game that they, that they had, it was a home game because they were really, really good. So they had a home game, and, and we go to the game, we're sitting there, and, and they, the, our team kicks off the, has the kickoff. Their team receives the ball, and then three plays, and they can't get a first down, so they're going to punt. They're going to punt. And so they, they hike the ball, and the ball kind of, it skips once or twice to get to the punter. He finally collects it, and, and then he goes to punt the ball. And, and I can see, my son's actually on the, on the punt return team, and I can see what's happening before anybody else can see what's happening because I'm watching my kid. I'm not watching the game. I'm watching the game within the game. You tracking? And I can see there's another kid coming through, and he's going to block the punt, and my kid's going to pick up the ball and score a touchdown. I can see this. And so I'm the first person out of my seat, screaming like a wild man. You go, boy, come on, you know. And I can see, and sure enough, that's exactly what happens. You know, the, the punt is blocked. My kid scoops the ball up. He scores his only touchdown in high school, so he always played defensive line. What makes Jesus get up out of his seat? This, what's happening is a historical event. But he's watching the game within the game. And he sees one of his children, one of his sons, performing in such a way that he, I, I don't, there's no recorded words of Jesus, but in my, my, hopefully my sanctified imagination, I hear Jesus saying, come on, boy, yeah, you're doing a great job. And he stands and he celebrates the event happening in that moment that we would look at it and we think, what a tragedy, what a waste. And Jesus is cheering. What in your life would ever cause Jesus, your Savior, to jump out of his seat and say, that's it. You got it. You figured it out. You doing it. Keep after it. One in your life would cause him to say, that's my girl. That's one of my sons. And you're doing it just like I want you to do it. Maybe this morning your, your greatest need is to, is, is to cause Christ to stand up because the whole purpose of, of his giving his life was so that you could have you could become alive and not just live. And so maybe the choice that would cause Jesus to celebrate and jump out of his chair today is that you make the decision to trust him to be your only Lord and Savior. That you turn away from sin and self, you admit to him, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. You turn away from running your own life and you turn to Jesus and you embrace him completely. And I promise you in that moment, there's a party that happens in heaven and I think the Lord Jesus leads it. And he jumps up and says, yeah, I've been waiting for you for so long to finally come to me. 
Or maybe you're, you're in the midst of that difficult struggle in life, whatever that thing might be, and you just want to give up. Just say, never mind. It's just not worth the hassle. But you find the strength by the fullness and the presence of the Spirit of God in your life to press on, to keep after it. And I think those are the moments with everything else is happening in the world. You can read all the world news and all the world events, and those things do not make the headlines in heaven. What makes the headlines in heaven is the individual, unknown, unnamed followers of Jesus Christ who decide it's worth keeping on, it's worth being faithful to the Lord Jesus no matter what, and, and it causes Christ to stand up perhaps and say, yes, that's one of mine. Are you ready today to make the choice and decision that causes an ovation in heaven? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And, and we're going to have a time, not necessarily to respond forward, but I think it's easier to stand than to just sit there and respond, folks. I, I, I'm old, okay? But here's what I'd like for you to do. If, if you have not yet given your life to Christ, or you're not sure about your relationship with God, this is the day. If you ever wanted to cause God Almighty to jump up, I promise you this, the moment you say, yes, Lord, he jumps up. And he runs and meets you. Maybe there's another need in your life today. And, and just by standing right where you are, you can, you can you, let's all just bow our heads and let's do this, all right? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, no one bothering their neighbor. But I wonder today if you would say, I need the fullness of the Spirit of God to help me continue to endure what I'm struggling with right now. And you say, Pastor, I, I, would, I would love for you to pray for me. And I'll, I'll do my best to pick out the hands, but if that's the case, would you just raise your hand quickly up and then quickly down. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Let me pray for you. And I'm going to give you one more thing to do after that, okay? Our Lord Jesus, man, sometimes our, our lives, it's just stuff that happens, God, and it's so hard. We struggle and we want to be faithful. We want to respond in a Christ like manner. But we're just kind of at the end of ourselves and the end of our rope, God. And I pray for these that raise their hands, those who are watching who figuratively raise their hands, those present who, who wanted to but 
weren't comfortable doing so, but just everything inside of them screamed, raise your hand. God, that today, today, you would give them what they need. That is not to answer all the other prayers, but to give them the fullness of yourself, to empower them to respond in a way that allows them to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ through the difficulty, through the, the, the hardship, that others, God, might see Jesus, even if they don't respond well to that, but they would definitely see Jesus in the lives of these folks today. And finally, God, with every head bowed, if you, if you need still you're just not sure or you know for certain you're not a follower of Christ. If you want to make sure today, I want you to pray this prayer with me with other believers praying for those around them, but you pray this prayer, okay? Say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I admit that to you today. And right here, right now, I want to turn away from being the boss of my life and I want to give my life fully over to you. I trust that your death on the cross is sufficient to pay for my sin and I trust that your resurrection from the dead proves that I will then have eternal and abundant life with you forever. Thank you, Jesus for coming into my life.